to the Follow On podcast here on followoncricket.com. Chinmay Vaidya, Part Joshi, Anish Tal, and Ashay Chavan. Uh, full house here for a full slate of cricket discussion. We'll start in the Big Bash. The playoffs are about to get underway. The Sydney Sixers, the defending champions, are back in the mix. It's the Brisbane Heat, the Adelaide Strikers, the Sydney Sixers, the Sydney Thunder, and the Perth Scorchers are all in the postseason. Guys, I won't ask for too much analysis. Just make your pick. Do the Sixers repeat, or do you think someone else will lift the trophy this year? Yep, I'm going to say the Sixers repeat. Best team in the regular season, and I think they go on to win it again. I'm going to go with Perth. I just love their lineup top to bottom. They've got match winners 1 through 11, Jason Roy, Liam Livingstone, Colin Monroe, and then Turner and Mitch Marsh at the bottom of the order. It's got to be one of those top two teams. You know how these uh, go in these uh, tournaments where, you know, the four versus five play and then the winner has to beat the three and then you, you keep playing matches. So those teams lower down. They got to win a lot of matches to get to the championship. Those top two teams, you, you win a match and you're in really good shape. So I'm going to take the second seed, Perth. I'll take the Sydney Sixers. I think their their lineup is pretty packed top to bottom. Their batting especially is powerful. So I'm going to take them to repeat. I'm going to go with Anish here. I'm going to go with Perth. And I do think that 1-2, the, the Big Bash has changed their format now. From starting last season, they had, had done this qualifier one. Previously, it was just straight semifinals. But now the advantage has shifted to reward the teams who, who are uh, performing well in the regular season. So I think Perth will get the job done. So we're split halfway on this, Sydney and Perth. And it looks likely that those two will at least be in the final. We'll see who comes out on top there. Another topic of discussion that I wanted to get to that we've talked about previously on this podcast was when Pakistan was going to get a home tour, when a country was going to tour Pakistan for an extended period of time. And South Africa has stepped up in this uh, pandemic era of cricket. South Africa has gone to Pakistan. I believe the tests got underway. And there's also some limited overs games that they'll be playing as well. Guys, how good is it to see Cricket returned to Pakistan now, and I know there were security concerns, but I think Quinton de Kock talked about how those arrangements have been made and, and look pretty good. So it seems like things are under control and starting to get back to where you'll have cricket routinely in Pakistan instead of in other locations like UAE. Uh, I think it's definitely incredible to see cricket back there. Sad that it's a time during COVID because you know you want those fans in the seats but regardless Pakistan will love to be on their home soil um maybe not love to play on their home soil as they lost 14 wickets on the first day but we can talk about that later yeah it's really 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 great to see that I mean just playing playing during the pandemic as it is there's a lot of restrictions on the players and the teams and the isolation and so being at least being able to be in your home country after so long playing on your home soil, you know, this is what you've grown up with. These are the fans that you've grown up to play for. It's wonderful to see. Also, like Ashay said, not the best performance on the first day, but, you know, test matches five days and they've got plenty of time to come back. Yeah, it's just been a very long time since we've played cricket in Pakistan, so it's just good to have that back. I think it's good for the overall game, um, good for the international sport to just have cricket back in Pakistan. Yeah, 100% agree, and I think England is also going to do some sort of tour in Pakistan to kind of repay them for coming to the England bubble when ECB was really hurting financially in the early stages of the pandemic. 
Switching now to domestic cricket, uh, domestic franchise cricket in the Indian Premier League, some trades are being made ahead of the auction, which is slated to be in early February, I believe. The Rajasthan Royals have made a series of moves. They have sent Robin Uttapa to Chennai Super Kings in what is being reported as an all-cash deal, so I don't think any players are coming back. They've also released Steve Smith, so they're not retaining him ahead of the auction, and they've appointed Kumar Sangakara as one of their sort of sporting directors or managers, if you will. Guys, what do you think of this move for both the Royals and Chennai Super Kings? You really wonder what's going through the head of the people at Chennai Super Kings. After this last season, you would think they would want a complete overhaul of their roster, and lo and behold, they keep fishing for a player very similar to what they've had on the roster for so long. So really puzzling. I do like the move from, from Royals. Steve Smith was you know, probably the foreigner adding the least to their least to their lineup. They have a really great list of foreigners. I know we were when we were talking about it was maybe our mid season podcast how, you know, with uh, with Archer, with Butler, they've got some really strong foreigners and so to open up a foreigner slot to get a more influential player will be a huge help for them and you know it's we love to see it as well, promoting Sandra Sampson to be the captain. That's how Indian players are going to be groomed and led and he's going to be in the next generation of India limited over cricket. So love to see that move from that perspective too. Yeah, I definitely agree with that analysis, Anish. First of all, CSK, no clue what's going on there. They just seem to be getting older and older. <laughs> uh, it's just incredible to see it. Um, and then on the other side, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a good move to drop Steve Smith. He was the 26th leading run scorer in the last IPL um, the thing with Steve Smith is you really can't bat him anywhere under three. He, he, you can't put him at four in T20 because, you know, sometimes the top three will play a lot and you can't send, send Steve Smith into hit. So he really has to bat one, two, or three. And that really, you know, that eats up one spot where there's a lot of young talent on this Royals team now. And, uh, yeah, overall, from a cap space standpoint, uh, from a new saying, you know, grooming a new leader, I, I think it's a great move for them. Really, I agree with uh, everything you all just said. Uh, I think Steve Smith, he wasn't really, like, what have you done for me lately was the motto, you know, and the Royals, they they think clearly they can succeed without him. Uh, they can fill in some other um, international player to fill their, one of their four slots. One of them could honestly be Glenn Maxwell, a teammate of Steve Smith, um, because he's more versatile in their lineup um, in terms of hitting lower down the order. Uh, in terms of his form, it's a different story, but I think I think it's a good move for them to get rid of Steve Smith. Obviously, I don't think they'll go unsigned. Um, still a big name talent, uh, just a name brand, you know. I'm sure there's teams that would need a number two or three in their lineup. I think the one thing with Steve Smith is that he's shown that he can evolve, and he's shown that he has been a decent enough T20 player. I think the issue here for Royals was with the price tag associated with Steve Smith was not delivering the type of return that you would. For a player of that price tag, so I understand the move. For CSK, though, man, I don't know what is going on. I mean, you're pulling a trade, which seems to be a cash move. You couldn't pick any other player but Robin Uttapa? I mean, the Royals would have given you money to get rid of him. It's just unreal to think that CSK paid money for Robin Uttapa. And and this is nothing against Robin Uttapa as a person. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's been... Uh, servant of Indian cricket for a long time and I'm sure he's a great mentor for younger players. I'm sure the Royals players love to learn from him and, and gain that experience from him. 
But as a T20 batsman, he's lost his value and he's lost it for a few seasons now. So yeah, really no clue as to what CSK is doing. But then again, they looked lost all throughout the UAE bubble. And I don't know if it's going to get any better in this upcoming edition of IPL for Chennai Super Kings. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll discuss India's massive Test Series win against Australia and how the World Test Championship shapes up with that result. You're listening to the Follow On Podcast here on followoncricket.com. Welcome back to the Follow On Podcast here on followoncricket.com. You can check us out on Facebook at the Follow On. Follow us on Twitter at the Follow On. As always, all of our content at followoncricket.com. We're talking about India's 2-1 to Test Series win against Australia and what happened early on in the Test Series with 36 all out and a bunch of prominent cricketers, uh, cricket analysts, cricket journalists tweeting uh, 4-0 Australia and what would be a demoralizing sweep for India. It turned out to be very much the opposite. India goes on to win two of the next three matches and the draw really was essentially a win for India when you look at the Test Championship standings. So after this series now, India is number one in the World Test Championship standings heading into a four-test series with England. Australia, after the results, drops to third now. So they have some work to do in their series against South Africa if they want to overtake New Zealand, who has jumped into the number two spot. A lot of talking points from this series, but I'll start with this question for you guys. Where would you rank this test series win among India's all-time test series wins? Because a lot of people are saying this was the best one ever. Let me start off answering by saying, when you say prominent cricket journalists and analysts, I hope you're not referring to ourselves, because we were the ones who also said that India would lose, get whitewashed, 3-0, 2-0. Like, we, we also put those stats up there. No, I was not. We are, we are very much not in the uh, prominent, and I would, I would hesitate to characterize any of us as journalists either. So, no. Not a reference to us. Besides that, besides that I would say that... After after day one, like after match one, almost all of those analysts were vindicated because thirty six fallout is like the lowest of lows for Indian Test cricket. Almost like it's like the third lowest score, like Test cricket in general. But then we follow that up by just getting better each match uh, as the series went on. Um, we ended up with the highest of highs for Indian cricket, um, winning with this gritty, young, inexperienced team overseas at the Gabba um, on the final day. You know both those. Uh, the last two tests both went to the last session, the last day. Um, and really it shows their clutching that they were able to, you know, just withstand that pace attack on day five of test three and they were able to overcome it on in test number four. And really it, it boils down to having the mental attitude, mental fortitude of key cogs in the lineup like Pujara, Rahane, uh, and the bowling attack, young bowling attack showing through. I know that they had maybe, what, three or four tests experience between them by test four and i think only two players have played all four tests and that means that basically just the grit of pujara just tiring out the bowlers taking those hits on his body let young guns like shubman gill and and uh, rishabh Pant attack they play their natural game and I, I think it does rank as amongst their best series wins ever it was certainly one of the most unique series i had seen i don't think I've seen a series with such competitive fifth days. 
and uh, fifth days resulting in the ways that they did before. Usually the fifth day is where the pitch is made to look the most deteriorated and the bowlers are so on top of the batsmen. And to an extent, uh, Australia made it look that way just because of the pure quality of the bowlers that they have. This is probably one of the best bowling attacks and the toughest conditions that India could face on the road, nonetheless with such a young and inexperienced team. So that really does highlight the magnitude of of the result. This is such a big series in terms of India coming home on that final stretch, uh, heading towards the World Test Championship with a big series against England coming up. But just the confidence that all of these young players will have that made such key contributions, the entire bowling lineup, really the whole the whole team in the field after the first test match, Rishabh Pant and Shubman Gill with huge contributions. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's those cogs, Rahane and Pujara, that played truly defining, not flashy innings, and that's what carries the team at the end of the day. Yep, this is definitely the best test series that India has probably played in history, in, in their history. Um, when you look at what they went through over the course of this series, the people that they lost um, due to other circumstances, due to injuries, uh, the way they fought on the road, like you guys said, with such a young team, um, to come up with so many brilliant performances out of nowhere, really. I mean, if you really look at the betting odds on the third test and the fourth test, by the time, it, at certain points in the match, India was you know, favored by less than 20 to 1 to even come up with a draw. And somehow in both instances, they came out with innings from nowhere, from different stars, emerging stars, and different stars, as Ashay and Anish mentioned, in Pujara and Rahane, who have just shown the will to stick around for and play really great innings. So um, best series for India by far, in my opinion. I think for Australia, from Australia's point of view, this was a massive letdown when you consider that in the first two test matches, Labuschagne and Smith, their two star batsmen, really didn't do all that much. And they ended up being the two leading run scorers in the series, Labuschagne and Smith. But the next four guys were all India batsmen, and they all played really key innings at, at key times with Rishabh Bunt, Cheteshwar Pujara, Ajinkya Rahane, and Shubman Gill making up those four names. I think the big story here for me was that Australia's bowling attack, if you take away the 36 all out, which was really just a matter of luck, right? I mean, every single edge went to hand pretty much for that whole innings, which didn't last very long. But after that, the Australian bowling attack was fairly toothless. Pat Cummins had a great series. Joss Hazelwood had some big moments as well. But Stark was really non-existent. Cameron Green, I don't even know if he bowled in the fifth test match. He maybe bowled a couple overs. And Nathan Lyon picked up some wickets here and there, but wasn't really much to you know write home about. So aside from Smith and Labuschagne, the Australians in general really underperformed, in my opinion, and India overperformed with Gil, Rahane, Pujara, and Bunt all being stars. And Rohit Sharma had some big contributions as well after it looked like he, his, you know, his status for the tests was in question at one point. So India got some contributions from players that we wouldn't otherwise see. You also have to look at Guys like Ravi Ashwin and Hanuma Vihari, who stuck it out on day five of that third test. I mean, they didn't score any runs, but they managed to salvage a draw for India, which was basically a win at that point for India in terms of test standings, because it looked like India was headed for a loss. 
So a draw was a win in any circumstance for India. Whereas for Australia, after that second test where you can say, okay, we haven't played our best cricket up to this point. We really need to turn it on and we think Smith and Labuschagne will get going. And they did. To then come away with no wins in the next two tests, that's got to be a huge disappointment. So I think this was a brilliant performance from India, but I think Australia drastically underperformed from what they were. I would still rank the first test series that India won against Australia from a couple years ago when Kohli became the first Asian captain to win a test series in Australia. I would still rank that ahead, even though I know they were missing Smith and Warner, Australia was at that point, but I would still rank that one ahead of this one. I do think this one will be special for some of the younger players like Shubman Gill and Rishabh Bunt. I think you understated the, the fact that it was Smith and Labuschagne. I wouldn't even say that they had any really huge innings. Um, you missed the name. It was Pat Cummins, who he deserves like a nice four-week, six-week break where the Australian team just caters to him because he his back must be hurting after carrying that bowling attack for so long. Um, really, the bowlers didn't show up, but the batsmen didn't give the bowlers much to work with. And imagine that they won all four tosses and India was batting on day five or the last days of most three of those test matches. Like It's kind of just pitiful that the bowlers couldn't really get this inexperienced team out, get 20 wickets. At the end of the day, test matches just getting about 20 wickets. And really big ups to to Mohamed Siraj and to coming in for an injured bowling lineup. You know, the top four, top four paces were injured. It was uh, Ishan Sharma, Jaspreet Bumrah, uh, Mohamed Shami, and Umesh Yadav. I don't know if he's considered top four or not. Oh, Bhuvi, sorry. Bhuvi was the last one I mentioned. Uh, but basically just the bowlers really, really can't be said enough about them. And even Pujara, he always takes the blame for batting slow, but He's the back one of that lineup in Test cricket, especially down under. It's impossible to get him out. Yeah, it was nice to hear Ricky Ponting after what was it, the first or the second Test say that Pujara was just slowing everything down and causing causing India all these problems. And look at what ended up happening. That's exactly what caused Australia all the problems in the series. Would have been a beautiful sight to be in that dressing room if you imagine. If you remember uh, Justin Langer's meltdown in eighteen, can't imagine the meltdown here in that dressing room. Yeah. I will say, though, I I do want to argue against your point that the Australia batsmen didn't give their bowlers much help. I think in the first, in the second test, I'd certainly agree with you. They put up 195 and 200, but in the third test, their batting lineup, they gave them 338 and 312 for six declared. And then in the fourth test, 369 and 294. You know, maybe you expect a little bit higher, but against a team like India, I mean, that, on your home soil, that should be enough to win those matches. No, I definitely think Australia, after the first two tests, the batting lineup came back around. And it was because Labuschagne and Smith started performing again. So in the first two tests, absolutely, I think Australia's batting was shit. But in the back two tests, Australia's batting lineup showed up. And it was their bowlers who couldn't get it done. Yeah, this is, I was just shocked at how India made Nathan Lyon look so ineffective. He's one of the best spinners in the world and on his home soil, and they made him look they made it look easy yeah they really did um and you know we talk about Pujara and Rahane again playing big innings but I think Rishabh Bunt was the one who really allowed them to play big innings especially Pujara on the last one I mean he really as soon as he started instilling confidence that's when Pujara actually started scoring runs at a little bit faster rate now granted Pujara stuck around that entire time so he definitely deserves all the credit there but I mean Rishabh Bunt is a spark in test cricket that 
you know, India hasn't had before. And without him, there was really no chance of winning that match for sure. And even that third test match, even though they drew it, they were in that game. There, there was some chance, very small chance of them winning it until he got out. And then Ashwin was able to come in and, you know, stand his ground and finish out the day. But he, he provides this spark that, hey, India has a shot at winning these matches. And I think that's really understated. I want to talk about Rishabh Bunth real quick. I want to kind of throw this discussion out there because we've been critical of Rishabh Bunth. And it has very little to do with his batting skills. It has a lot to do with his wicket-keeping abilities. Sometimes his batting uh, leaves us frustrated, leaves a lot of fans frustrated the way he gets out. Even in that third test match, he kind of threw his wicket away when it looked like India was going to have a chance to win. And what ended up being a draw, likely because Rishabh Bunt didn't stick around uh, that much longer. But does these performances sort of vindicate Rishabh Bunt's approach or do you still think that he has things to work on that could make him even better? Or is this vindication of, okay, let Rishabh Bunt be. He's played some brilliant innings, particularly in Australia. Even the last time they were in Australia, he was he was really good. So is this sort of vindication of Rishabh Bunt, or are you not willing to go down that road just yet? He has, uh, I would say just not just yet, because the way he plays, the way he bats, there's inevitably going to be uh, times when he throws his, wicket, throws his wicket away at frustrating times in the match when you think it's winnable, when you're just going to be grasping defeat from the jaws of victory, as they say, because of his brass shot. So while he should enjoy the time that he has, while he should enjoy the highs that he has, I think he just also has to play more level-headed in certain situations. Some situations going to be similar to how Joss Butler was introduced to the test team in England where, you know, you have this very talented Game, potential game changer hitter in the lower end of the lineup and his game isn't your traditional test game which as you can see in these past two tests worked out for us pretty well um but yeah you know you're gonna have your good times and you're gonna have your bad times and um i think that's just part of the that's part of the risk of putting him in the lineup what i hope to see is that he can start to improve more with his gloves i think he had overall a pretty decent series um all things considered against australia but you know coming back to India, we'll be getting some more turning pitches, and so him uh, being behind the stumps and getting uh, getting wickets when we can is going to be even more crucial. Yeah, that, that's literally what I was going to say, Anish. I, I think before he can get that full validation, he has to become better behind the stumps. Um, of course, if you keep playing series like this, it won't matter, right? But I don't think Rishabh Bunt's going to be scoring um, 90s in every single innings that he plays in. Um, so until that happens, I think he has to become better with the gloves. And then people are going to be willing to eat those games where, okay, he threw away his wicket for no reason, because like Ashay said, that's going to happen. And and so, yeah, in order for him to um, be able to make that up, he just really has to get better. And I know we've talked a lot about it on this podcast, but specifically up to the stumps, he has to be a lot better. He lets a lot go through, drops a lot of catches. Um, yeah, he's just not agile enough back there, and I think that has to improve. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he definitely has room for improvement behind the stumps. But I do think as term, in terms of his batting style and his ability to kind of snatch these matches away from the opposition with the shots that he plays, in test cricket it's very rare to see this type of player lower down the order. But as I'm sure you guys heard on the commentary, there was reference to sort of these IPL players who are 
coming into this Indian side. And in this test, it was a necessity because India didn't really have any other players that they could plug in there. But guys like Rishabh Bunt and Washington Sundar, who are down there in the fourth test with 10 overs to go and they need like 30 or 40 runs. I mean, for those players, that's nothing because in the IPL, they've seen that asking rate hit nine or 10 for a long period of time. So that kind of experience does translate well in these situations. Now, granted, I don't know how many more opportunities they're going to have to be in those situations if the top order plays as expected, but that's another aspect of where you see the translation from T20 cricket to test cricket and and the IPL having an influence on some of those younger Indian players. One more thing I want to get to from a player-specific standpoint, India was without Virat Kohli after the first test. And Ajinkya Rahane's captaincy was, in my opinion, tremendous. And I think there has been questions about Goalie's captaincy at times. And Rahane has stepped in really well as the vice captain. He's been pretty good. He has said he's comfortable being the vice captain and has no aspirations to be the lead guy. But the way he navigated through probably more difficult circumstances than Goalie has had to deal with in, in any test matches... Do you think Ajinkya Rahane deserves an opportunity to be sort of that lead guy for India in tests while Virat Kohli focuses more on becoming, you know, the best batsman in the world, which he is, but really living up to that production-wise? Yeah, I think I've said it quite often. Um, I, I think, Virat, like you said, Chinway, Virat Kohli is the best batsman in the world. I don't think he's a great captain. I, I think he, uh, there's a lot of experience on this Indian team, especially a lot of people who have had success being captains, whether that's IPL teams, first-class teams, um, elsewhere, people who think the game. Um, and it, it's, it doesn't mean that Brad Coley doesn't think the game or is not a smart player or doesn't understand cricket, but he's just a great batsman, and that's where his focus should be. That's where it normally is. And his passion sometimes is not the right one to be a test captain, in my personal opinion. And I think we've seen other Indian players do a better job at leading the team so um yeah i mean it, of course it's not going to happen so this is all hypothetical but should someone else deserve a shot at being captain of the test team um there's definitely room for debate there so I, i'm with you both of you um part you mentioned that obviously number one batsman smart player sure knows how to t- know knows how to turn the chase on slow down play through go for the big hits etc um the captaincy lim i'll be limited captaincy record we can both debate that both can arguably said Rahane hasn't lost it as a captain and Rohit Sharma too has been seeing success in all three formats as a captain. So obviously it won't happen. This is all just hypothetical. Um, but you know, like the records, st- the records speak for themselves. Are they going to replace Kohli? No, he's been, he's been more than, he's been more than passable as a captain. So that, that that's all there is to say about that. It's going to have to be on Kohli to step down as a, as the test captain in order for him to no longer remain the captain. That's just the bottom line. 100% agree. I don't think they're going to replace Kohli. I personally don't think that he should be replaced. I think it's fine to have him as captain because, like you guys said, this Indian team is so experienced that they all have that ability to kind of make decisions and give their input. So really it doesn't matter who the captain is to that degree that it would a younger team that kind of needs to be groomed and and brought up in that sort of way. So goalie keeping the captaincy is fine, but I do think Rahane deserves some acknowledgement for the way he navigated through the back end of this Australia series 
especially after, you know, 36 all out, you really can't go anywhere but up. But he took them to a height where I think they didn't expect to go at the end of that series. They did not expect to be up two to one at the end of that test match series. One more thing I wanted to talk about, and that specifically relates to the third test match and the way India played on day five of that test match. Now, the World Test Championship points in a draw get split between the two sides. But realistically, only one team was playing for a win in that game, and it was Australia. India was playing for a draw. They were playing to see that thing out and secure whatever points they could in a draw. They they were not going for the win, even though there was a slight window, in my opinion, where they could have played for the win. Now, in soccer, or for those internationally football, a win is three points and a draw is one point. You don't get one and a half points for a draw. Do you guys think the World Test Championship points should be modified to reflect a similar sort of outcome? That a draw should not just be an even split of points down the middle for both teams. That you should encourage going for the win to grab those points. And that if you do draw, there should be some sort of penalty where some of those points just get thrown up in the air and vanish, basically. Uh, A third of the points go to one team, a third of the points go to the other team, and a third of the points just disappear and no one gets them. Because, I'll be honest, day five of that third test was brutal to watch. Absolutely brutal to watch. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Jim. I, uh, I don't think that you should get the same amount of points for drawing two matches as you do for winning a five-day test match. So just purely from that standpoint, I do think that a win is worth more than two draws, and that's why I would say that I would rather go with that scoring system. Um, plus, like you said, it encourages going for a win, right? I mean, at that point, like you said, India was playing for the draw. They didn't really have anything else to do. Bunt was out at that point. They, they were really down to the last tail. If someone got out, the tail enders were in. Um, there's nothing else for them to do. And in that case, it wouldn't have made sense for them to go for the win. So they still do play for the draw. But now when you're doing that, um, it, like you said, is it really worth half a win if you're able to do that? And the answer should be no. The answer should be let's try to get results out of test matches because that's really really what's going to drive people to actually view them. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm with that change for sure. I think that would be a fun change for sure. Um the only thing I wonder is if, let's say, like a match gets like completely rained out, like that's a real, real bummer that like the teams can don't have the opportunity to get full points, and it's just like, you know, it really hurts your record a lot. But you know, weather weather is a bigger part of inter- affecting test matches than it is like soccer match. So, um, but overall, I still think that would be a positive change. Yeah, Anish, I think your point on the weather is a good one. But I think at that point, it's just you're out of luck because weather can affect a test match on any day. So I think, yeah, I mean, if it rains over five days, like you're just out of luck at that point. But I do think that, you know, the test championship has been modified in good ways where it's percentage of points won or percentage of points played for rather than just total points. I think that was a good change that I hope they keep for the next cycle. But I would like to see some sort of tweak to where draws are not given that much importance, where I think that there should be some sort of penalty for a draw for both teams, that you you didn't go for the win or you didn't get that extra push to get those extra points. 
I do think that's something that the uh, test championship sort of uh, formula needs to to be reevaluated and looked at further. I think that's a good modification to have. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll discuss the rest of the test championship standings and preview India's test series with England and Australia's test series with South Africa. You're listening to the Follow On podcast here on followoncricket.com. Back here on the Follow On podcast discussing all things World Test Championship. India at the top of the standings, New Zealand in second after sweeping their home summer series against the West Indies and Pakistan. It looked like they would lose out on some points in that first test match against Pakistan, but Mitchell Santner with some phenomenal bowling at the end of day five to capture that victory. Kyle Jamison was phenomenal throughout the summer as well. His stock continues to rise. Australia in third now after dropping points against India. They will head to South Africa for three test matches. I believe they need to win at least two and draw the third test match to have a chance to go to the World Test Championship final in England. After sweeping Sri Lanka 2-0, they have an opportunity to make the World Test Championship final as well. I believe they need at least a 3-0 result against India in this upcoming series. So difficult path for England, but possible. And when there is an opportunity, uh, you potentially see that come to fruition. So the big test series now, England and India and Australia and South Africa. And before we dive too much into these series and talk about predictions and make our predictions How great is this for Test Cricket and those who want to see Test Cricket bounce back and become popular again to have a World Test Championship not not be a clear runaway with India and Australia going to the final, which it looked like it was going to be very early on. But now there's four teams with legitimate chances to make the final. I mean, you could see so many different matchups here unfold where all these Test matches matter. You can't ask for anything more. If you're a fan of Test Cricket, and the ICC really lucked out on this one, in my opinion, because this was not their intention, but they somehow got it right. Really exciting. This is this was the whole point of the World Test Championship, was to bring more attention to the game, and what better way to do that than, than this? I mean, four India-England Test matches in England, or sorry, in India, uh, super exciting. It's definitely going to be a big challenge for England to get the scoreline that they need to make it to the make it to the final but um yeah super exciting i think we chatted about this in the past um and we all were not were unsurprised by the four teams that have a shot and i think we'll also be unsurprised by the the final finalists um i mean new zealand they've just been clinical at home and for this round of the world test championship they've been faced a lot of whole game home games and so yeah i mean it's a tough call for to say England can win three zero or better in India. Yeah, uh, this is this is great though, right? I mean, Australia now um, they'll be playing South Africa next. They definitely have a shot. Still, New Zealand, of course, like Ashay said, um, I who I think are one of the favorites for sure. Definitely the top two. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be exciting. It, it can go a lot of different ways here, and you know, like we've seen uh, us, India just coming up with. A series out of the hat, out of nowhere, um, against Australia to keep themselves in it, and now they're the favorites. So anything can happen in these coming series, and it's going to be exciting. 
What is more sad is that Sri Lanka had the winning a winning position and they couldn't capitalize on it, giving England that little window of opportunity that they needed to get them back in this WTC. So I was really, you know, as a non-neutral fan watching that series, I was, I was hoping that Sri Lanka could at least win one of those matches the other, the other week, the other day. Yeah, I'm glad you referenced Satishay because that's what I was about to get to. Sri Lanka was in a really good position in that second test match against England, and that was it. If that was a draw or if England had lost, that was a wrap on England's World Test Championship. They would not, even with a 4-0 sweep, they would not have had the points to jump into one of those top two spots. But Joe Root, finding form in that series, he was phenomenal. And then Bess and Leach were, I believe, like 8 for 100 or something in that second innings. Some, the, the figures were something like that, where they just absolutely demolished that Sri Lanka lineup. And England basically pulls a win out of, uh, out of the hat on day four, when it looked like that test was clearly going to go to a fifth day, and England would really have to fight to have any sort of chance. Uh, England gets up and gets the W on day four, a stunning turn of events. So New Zealand is the only team now that does not control their own destiny in terms of the test championship final. They'll have to bank on other results. If England loses a test match against in, against India, it's a wrap for England. And Australia, I believe if they lose a test match against South Africa, it would be a wrap for Australia. So those results would go a long way for New Zealand making that test championship final. Let's jump to England-India prediction time. India should be relatively healthy, way healthier than what they were in that last test match against Australia. Kohli will come back in. Rohit Sharma will be more fit. Ashwin will be back in, I believe. Jadeja is a little bit iffy. Vihari should be back in the fold. But India should be relatively healthy going into this test series. Joe Root rounding into form for England. Ben Stokes will be in the fold. Joss Butler should be there. I believe Moen Ali is also being given a look for the test matches. So your guys' predictions for India and England. India, but I believe they need at least a 2-0 result from the four tests to maintain their standing in the test championship. England, as I mentioned, need at least a 3-0 result. Who do you guys think gets this done for a spot in the world test championship final? You can never write out England. Um, I, I would, I would, Predict. I would predict something like a two-two or a two-one toss-up for either team. It's going to be a really close cracker of a series, and I find it hard pressed to say any of those teams would would need, would get the whitewash result that they need for a direct path to the final. So I I really find it hard to say three-zero England or two-zero India. It's going to be a really close series either way. He just said two-zero India. Yeah, I, I'm going to say the same. Um, I could see England taking one off them, but I think India wins at least two out of these four test matches. Um, like Chinmay said, they're going to be healthy again. They'll be at home. So um, if I had to bet, I'd say India 2-0, if not 3-0. Oh, wow. Something to also keep an eye on is England is going to be rotating their wicket keepers throughout the whole series. So they're going to have Butler playing the first test, I think Folks playing the second test, and then Barristow coming back for three and four. Yeah, I think Joe Root rounding into form against Sri Lanka was a good sign for England, but I don't think it's going to be enough to get three test wins in India, which is what England will need. So I'm going to go with 2-1 to India. I do think England gets one test, but I think India gets two, 
And then it'll be interesting to see because I think that would put them in second in the test championship standings because of that loss. I'm not sure exactly how the calculation would look, but I don't think India would be guaranteed a spot in the final. I think they would drop to second and then it would be based on what happens in that Australia series. So I think it'll be 2-1 to India, but hopefully there is some drama left when Australia take on South Africa later on in the year. As we preview that series, uh, a lot of weird things going on. So Cricket Australia asked to be vaccinated ahead of this series. They asked to jump the line for the vaccine in a country that has managed the COVID pandemic phenomenally. But it's still kind of tough to see that happening where uh, cricketers get the jump ahead of general population, those at risk and the healthcare workers. Anish, from a medical perspective, as the medical expert on this podcast, do you think Cricket Australia has even half a leg to stand on when they say uh, we want the vaccine because we're uh, concerned about some of the things going on in South Africa with the COVID variant and some of the protocols that have maybe not been followed with cricket tours in that country, most notably England, having to pull out? I think so. If you were speaking as a United States citizen, I would say absolutely not. But from the perspective of Australia, you know, they've done a really good job there of controlling the virus. And, you know, they've had minimal or no cases like over the past few weeks. So I can understand why their their thought process is, hey, like we're going to a more at risk area. Why don't you give us some why don't you give us the vaccines? I mean, at the end of the day, if it's being mass produced, like, you know, the team is you know, taking that 30, 30 vaccines maybe max. So it's not a huge dent to the supply, but still at the end of the day, um, in every country, the supply has got to go to the highest, highest risk people first. I mean, if Cricket Australia is going to pay big money out of their pockets to the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies to have them slide a few vaccines their way, then that's what they decide to do. But if I were a citizen in Australia, I still would be pretty unhappy to hear that. I think the optics matter more than the the grand scheme of vaccine distribution when it comes to sort of prominent figures in in the public getting vaccinated before some of the at-risk population. So I think the optics maybe weigh far more than the the grand scheme of things when you're talking about maybe 30 vaccines uh, in in the uh, in the millions of the millions that would be uh, handed out over the the coming months for Australia and around the world. So I think that's definitely a good point to be made. I do think that they're not going to be able to get that. And I do think they're going to have to either call off the tour, which they won't do because they need the test points, or they're just going to have to go on and and follow the protocols, which I think is ultimately what's going to happen. As you make a prediction for this series, South Africa has played relatively well in test cricket recently. And Australia is coming off Probably their most disappointing performance in Test cricket in a long time. I think Australia storms back, but I don't think they get the result that they need. I think it's going to be 1-0 Australia. I think there's going to be two draws. I don't think Australia gets what they need to make that Test Championship final. Uh, I don't see there being a draw in this series. Um, I think Australia wins 2-1 or 3-0. I think they bounce back strong. I think South Africa has had a couple good runs recently, but they're still a struggling test side, and they have the propensity to collapse a lot. Um, and I think this Australian batting lineup bounces back and comes back. Uh, they had, you know, 
a lot of role players who who didn't get the job done, especially in the last two tests in India. And I think they'll have some their middle order will have some better success here in South Africa. Yeah, I'm not too optimistic about South South Africa. They, you know, even looking at their lineup now, it seems very formidable on paper, but just when are they ever going to show out? Who knows? So until then, you know, Australia, I, this is their revenge tour. I'm going to I'm going to say 3-0. I think that 3-0 is a stretch. I think I would say 1-0 or maybe maybe a couple draws, maybe 2-1 um, if you don't see any draws at all. But I do think Australia wins even on the South African conditions. Their pitches are very similar. Uh, so it's not like they're Australia's facing any different conditions that they would at home. All right, we'll see how it all unfolds with this World Test Championship. Obviously, you guys will get a chance to amend some of these predictions, but best guess as to who is playing in that World Test Championship final, assuming no test matches are added uh, to what is already on the slate for the upcoming Test Championship. I'm going to say it'll be India and New Zealand. There will be some drama with this Australia series, but I'm going to say India and New Zealand are going to be playing for the Test Championship at Lord's. I, 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 I second that, India-New Zealand. I'm going to say India-Australia. I'm with Parth. All right, we're split right there too. So the Big Bash and the World Test Championship. Very different stakes, but we'll see which side emerges victorious later on in this cricket season. Thank you for checking out the follow-on podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and as always, all of our content on followoncricket.com.